Good morning, and welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church. This is our online worship experience. This is Julie Hobart, the music director at Bethel. I'm speaking today in place of our beloved Pastor Amy, who asked me to be our liturgist today since she has lost her voice this week. So I will be reading her words as the service progresses. Please continue to keep her and her family in your prayers this week. We are observing the fifth Sunday in Lent today, and we have some lovely readings to look forward to as we continue our journey towards Holy Week. Our sermon today will be a bit different, as it will be the audio portion of a video from the Bible Project. More to come on that later on in the service. Don't forget that our last Lenten soup supper with Holden Evening Prayer afterwards is this Wednesday evening, April 6th, starting at 6 p.m. in person at Bethel. If you're on our email list, don't forget to check your weekly Friday email for more announcements. With that, let us focus our hearts and minds on what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today through word and song. He is so worthy of our adoration, as He has made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. Let us now enter His courts with thanksgiving and praise.
God of shadow and light, open our eyes to your justice. God of goodness and glory, open our minds to your wisdom. God of mercy and kindness, open our hearts to your love.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Lord Jesus, Desert Dweller, help us now at this time of Lent to accompany you. If we have grown soft, cushioning our lives with excuses, expose us to the toughness of your way. If we have grown lazy, cushioning our minds with easy, thin thoughts, expose us to the rigor of your truth. If we have grown comfortable, cushioning our lives with satisfaction and success, expose us to the challenge of your life. As we walk, God be our way. As we learn, God be our truth. As we grow, God be our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, we come to an important transition in our Bible readings. For the last few weeks, we have been recalling the events of Exodus and beyond when the Israelites came up from their slavery. Abram dreamt of the Red Sea crossing with Moses. Joshua emerged with his people from the wilderness over the River Jordan. This week, Isaiah tells us, yes, God did all that. God has remained faithful, but now do not look for a God to act in ways we have come to expect. God is about to do a new thing. Instead of pushing back the waters, God is now going to bring the waters forth to green a dry and thirsty desert. This is such important guidance from our prophet as we prepare for Holy Week. We think we can predict God, but it turns out just when we think we have God pegged, something brand new arrives. Paul puts it a bit differently, but nonetheless, it's the same caution against relying too heavily on the ways of the past. Paul says the things he has come to regard as gain in the past, now with Christ, he knows them as loss. It's another way of saying God is always doing something new. And what saved us in former days won't always be reliable for the future. A new thing has come. That is both a daunting and ever-promising word as we look to the gates of Jerusalem on our horizon. The first reading is from the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. 
and we are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negeb. Those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. Amen. The second reading is from the third chapter of Philippians. Paul writes, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. are stirred. Alleluia, Lord, we sing for the good news that you bring. The Gospel according to John, the twelfth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for three hundred denarii? and the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it, so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Word of the Lord Praise to you, O Christ. 
Every so often, we turn to Dr. Tim Mackey and the creators at The Bible Project to give us succinct and yet nuanced explanations of biblical concepts. Pastor Amy's laryngitis has given us another opportunity to learn from their work. So no traditional sermon this week, but instead a lesson from these incredible teachers. This recording was originally a video, so you will hear some odd background sounds. Hopefully it won't distract too much from their wisdom. And we encourage you, visit their original work on YouTube. The link is in the sermon notes on our website. In terms of theme, we are going to hear their exploration of sacrifice and atonement. In examining these ancient Hebrew religious practices, we can better understand the power of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and why it fundamentally altered our rituals going forward. We hear the call to life and cleansing, and we see Isaiah's words take shape. God had ways of transforming humanity in the past. Now God is going to do a new thing. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. Therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. The biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. 
So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace.
I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. Let us pray. Creator God, you prepare a new way in the wilderness, and your grace waters our desert. Open our hearts to be transformed by the new thing you are doing, that our lives may proclaim the extravagance of your love given to all through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You are children of God, anointed with the oil of gladness and strengthened for the journey. Almighty God, motherly, majestic, and mighty, bless you this day and always. Amen. A river of life flowing out of me Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see Opens prison doors, sets the captives free I've got a river of life flowing out of me Spring up a well, Spring up a well within, within my soul Spring up a well, Spring up a well and, and make me whole Spring up a well, Spring up a well and, and give to me, me. That life abundantly. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well, Spring up a well within, within my soul. Spring up a well, Spring up a well and, and make me whole. Spring up a well. Spring up and give to me that life abundantly. Go in peace. Rejoice in Christ our Savior. Thanks be to God.